Well, I love uh, that we are getting to celebrate uh, moms because it kind of gets to put squarely in focus this idea uh, of what parenting actually is. Because when you kind of break down what it means to parent, we're talking about shepherding and leading young people who will watch you and from the first moment of their lives. They're going to get an understanding of the world. They get an understanding of themselves. They get an understanding of what's right or what's wrong. All of that comes from that very foundation of just watching parents, which becomes a huge responsibility. And uh, sometimes it can feel incredibly challenging for anyone that has been in that place. Incredible challenges, amazing highs, sometimes some really painful lows, if we're being honest. But one of the things that every parent understands is that in order to truly steward and care for the lives of kiddos, one of the most important words we will have to say from time to time is no. And some of you were mouthing it before I could even say it. You're like, yeah, brother, because no is an important word. It's not only a word that's going to keep them from harm, such as, no, you cannot play in the middle of the street, right? Or no, you cannot eat Cousin Eddie's five-alarm chili or whatever it is, right? But if you don't use that word, no, you understand this, that you don't use that word from time to time, that it becomes borderline abusive. If you think about it, right, a mom or a dad that universally says yes to their child, never having a bedtime, never getting put to bed at night, eating whatever they want to, wearing the same clothes day in and day out past a couple of days, because we all have those days where it's like, fine, just stay in your PJs for forever. But never having their wounds attended to, just going, yeah, you don't have to take your medicine. Or yeah, you can just go to a stranger's house whenever you feel like it. I mean, you say yes over and over and over. Listen, that's not parenting. That's not even parents. That's actually negligence to a point of abuse when you're not, if we're being really honest. In that case, not having boundaries, not having concrete absolutes to help love and care for a child actually becomes evil. It's actually wrong. And yet, when it comes to this idea of God choosing to say, here is what is right. Here's what is good. Here's what's harmful. Here's what will bring life. When we do that, that being a follower of Jesus, it's often called, well, it's overly restrictive. That in fact, it's actually the moral absolutes of Christianity to that what it means to be followers of Christ that actually becomes radically objectionable to those that are outside of or not a part of the faith because they feel like Christianity sets itself against the very idea of freedom. And I can tell you, if there's one word that we treasure more than anything else in America, it's the word freedom. To be able to do and live our lives however we want. And so what I want to just explore for a few minutes this morning is this notion that Christianity is too strict or that it seeks to force its moral absolutes in in the claims of Christianity that it alone possesses the truth. And so that's the question. Does Christianity destroy the notion of freedom? Is it too restrictive? 
Interestingly enough, or ironically even, the Apostle Paul actually wanted to correct the churches that were in Galatia for being just that, by the way, too strict. And so I want to just open that up for a minute and take time to look at it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, here's what he says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, let's just dive into this, what's actually happening here, right? This is first century uh, you had two basic groups. You had Jewish people, and then you had people that were not Jewish, or what the scripture will call Gentiles. Those are the two kinds of groups, right? And the apostles had come before the Lord, and they had actually asked God. They'd said, Lord, how are the Gentiles supposed to live? And they heard from the Lord, and they, and they understood, and they agreed that, the, that Gentiles were not called to follow the ceremonial and sacrificial laws of the Jews because of what Jesus had come and done on the earth. And even though the apostles had actually made that declaration, you get to see it in Acts chapter 15 if you're interested in reading up on it, there were Jews that did believe in Jesus, but they believed that Gentiles needed to follow the old laws or the, the laws of the Old Testament. And so these Jewish leaders, what would happen is they'd go to the places where Paul had planted churches and they'd follow up right behind him and they would tell these followers of Jesus that Paul had actually led them astray and that they needed to live by the Jewish law, especially the law of circumcision. And so Paul is shouting, he's saying, don't let yourself be bound by rules that God has not given you. Don't be locked down. He's actually dealing with this issue. Now, can we be honest and admit that sometimes we, as a church or as the church today, we tend to make rules that God didn't give people. I remember uh, being a part of an amazing youth group. I mean, it changed my life. I loved the youth ministry. I was a part of the church that I grew up in. It was awesome. We were so lit up for Jesus. I mean, I, I was eight, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. I mean, those years, I mean, I'm, I was being set ablaze. And I loved it. It was so awesome. But in our zeal and passion, and in the name of holiness, in the name of modesty, which, by the way, are true, right, good biblical commands, there were some things that we put in place to make sure that we really held to these standards that we were super passionate about. And what we did is we started to make all sorts of rules and restrictions that didn't exist in the Bible. And uh, all kinds of things like, you don't watch rated R movies. We made that rule. Can't watch rated I mean, this was, don't watch rated R movies. That's bad for you, right? You can't listen to secular music. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that. Went, went to, um, we even were led, like, uh, it would happen, like, after um, youth camp. We were burning our CDs, I don't know if y'all ever did that. Did y'all ever come in, break your CD? Sorry, am I the only one with trauma here? So I don't know. But you know, you had to do that. You had to like try, I mean, I, re I remember turning that Guns N' Roses CD in. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, here you go, Lord. I'm giving it all, right? And listen, let's be honest. There are things in the movies. There are things in music that are just, they're broken, sinful, evil. Can we just agree with that? that, that that's true. That exists, right? It's things that shouldn't be watched. 
things that shouldn't be listened to. Listen, of course. But the tot- you can't just make a rule about the totality of movies or TV. I can tell you right now, there are some rated R movies that will set your heart ablaze for the Lord. And there's some PG-13 movies you ought never to see, okay? But we make these arbitrary rules in the church at times. And it's just not found in Scripture. I don't know if you ever, <laughs> I remember this phrase uh, you hear growing up. Uh, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, and I don't run with the boys that do. Or I don't date the girls that do. I don't, y'all, do y'all remember that one? Man, I had some messed up church. Anyway, I don't. <laughs> it's just interesting, you know, you have those phrases because the scripture doesn't say that you can't have alcohol or that you can't have tobacco. It doesn't say that. Now, the Bible prohibits drunkenness. It does. It talks about that. The, Bible, the scripture talks about addiction and those kind of things, right? But, and, but to ensure, what we do is to ensure that we never get drunk or to ensure that we're never addicted, what we say is, you can't do any of it. And we just create rules literally out of thin air. Well, doesn't the Bible say that, hey, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to take care of God's temple, right? Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Just don't look at people and make a prohibition about cigarettes while you eat your fried chicken sandwich and fried waffle potatoes from Chick-fil-A. Can we be on? I mean, right? Just because Chick-fil-A is God's chicken doesn't make it not fried. Come on. I mean, it's so easy to draw arbitrary lines. The church has done it a lot. People have been hurt by it. We've drawn lines. And listen, I don't mishear me. Do I want you to smoke cigarettes? Not really. I think if you look at some of the things that we've learned over scientifically over a long time, it causes unhealth. So I think you have to think about those things. What I really want more than anything is for us to be free from anything that robs from abundant life in our bodies, souls, or spirit. That's actually what is at the heart of a good father. And so let's not make arbitrary, unbiblical lists of rules, okay, so that we can look down on others who don't do all the great things that we do. Right or those that might struggle with those things, so we can kind of judge them. That listen, we've got to stop that. Right, but stop that. I mean, it, 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 there's still debates at time. I mean, there's still going on 2022 as whether or not you know women can wear pants. That debate still happening. You know, I mean, we we it, it it gets into foolishness. We start talking about how long can a man's hair be before he's not godly, and then how short can a woman's hair be before she's not godly. I mean, we just we do these things all the time, and it's just going, hey, church, can we stop with that for a moment and get to the heart of what the Father's actually looking for, which is thriving and flourishing, body, soul, and body, soul, and spirit. And so when the question gets asked, is Christianity too restrictive? Can we just confess that the church has at times in the name of some beautiful truths that we do get to see throughout the scripture about who God is, about who we are. We've created rules 
that just simply don't exist in the word of God. And so the answer is, yeah, the church can fall prey to what, the, what we get to see in scripture called the spirit of religion. We make things stricter. We create more rules than what's actually revealed from the word of God. It's actually called religion. It's where we try to set something up that God hasn't actually said, rather than having to come to a good father. Because I mean, listen to you, there's one thing to say, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink. It's a different thing to come to a father who says, I have something for you and I have something over your heart and life. Those are two totally different things. And so every generation of Jesus followers has wrestled with this issue, right? All the way going back to the first century. But throughout the centuries, when Jesus followers have discovered that we are being unbiblically strict, there's this tendency, by the way, to swing the pendulum, right? And, and, and to say, well, then there's no boundaries whatsoever. So we can do one of two things. We can be super overly restrictive or we can swing the pendulum and say, well, then you can kind of just do whatever you want to do. That's what the apostle Paul knew could happen when he's speaking about freedom to this, the churches in Galatia. And so he wants to clarify what he means by what it means to actually operate with a spirit of freedom, which is what God wants for all of us. Look at what he says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom. How beautiful is that, by the way? Man, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's, but that's, that's exactly what we see happening today, right? People using that concept of freedom to be able to do whatever they want to do, right? That's the, the modern definition of freedom is that each individual is able to define for themselves what is moral or immoral. We get to make the rules, everyone individually for ourselves. And I, I love, as, and I mentioned last week, that if you have not read the book, Reason for God by Tim Keller, I would highly recommend it to you. But he's, uh, Tim Keller is, is outlining this conversation in his book, Reason for God. This conversation that, that, that I've had before, but he, he says it succinctly. And he says, listen, I'm talking to someone about faith, often someone who has deconstructed their faith. And that person will say something to the effect of, Every person has a right or a definite right, or I'm sorry, every person has to define right and wrong for him or herself. And that sounds really enlightened and it sounds really progressive and it appeals to something inside of us, right? We get to all kind of make our own rules. The, the idea is that any theology or any philosophy that creates boundaries is too strict, certainly in including Christianity, and so he says, oh, I'll normally ask a question like this. Is there anyone in the world right now doing things that you believe they should stop doing no matter what they personally believe about the correctness of their behavior? He'll ask that question. And literally, people say, I mean, literally always, of course there are things that people are doing that should be stopped. Of course that should. There's no question about that. And so then he asked the question, doesn't that mean that you believe there is some kind of moral reality that is there, that is not defined by us, that must be followed no matter what a person thinks or feels? 
Listen, even groups that promote themselves as absolutely inclusive, they are not. They have boundaries. They have rules to be a part of their communities. Uh, my old senior pastor used to tell a story. He had a, a, a leader of a, an interfaith council in the city that we used to live in. And she came up to him and invited him to come be a part of this interfaith council. And so he said, well, listen, if I come to be a part of the council, do I get to be who I am? And she said, absolutely. We all get to come and we don't have to compromise any of our beliefs. We accept each other as we are. And so he said, well, okay, I want to make sure I'm clear. He said, I'm an, I'm an evangelical Christian who believes that embracing Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And that as an evangelical Christian, that I believe that my charge is that the most loving thing I could possibly ever do is to tell them about what Jesus did for them and to graciously invite them to become followers of Jesus. And he, uh, he says she looked at him like, he, like she was a deer in headlights. And she said, so you're saying that part of your faith is to seek to convert others to your faith? And he said, it's, just, it's not just a part of my faith. That's foundational to my faith. And she said in a really as gracious a tone, well, that would be a violation of who we are as a group. And he said, okay, okay. so there is a boundary. This is this open interfaith group. You can come and be who you are. All of a sudden, guess what? It has a boundary. There are no groups that don't have boundaries. It doesn't exist. The coolest, hippest, most progressive, you do you, I'll do me, no big deal. Everyone's dealing with absolutes. Don't for a second believe the lie that there's anyone that's dealing on a place that doesn't have absolutes. Every group has boundaries. Every group. Every group has boundaries. Keller, he goes on to describe it so well. He says, the idea of a total totally inclusive community is an illusion. It doesn't exist. Every human community holds in common some beliefs that create necessary boundaries, including some people and excluding others from its circle. As I just described, my old pastor being effectively excluded from the interfaith council with all the other different religions and faiths because he had a deep belief about his own Faith. In other words, every community has restrictions. They all do. And no person truly, hear this, truly believes deep down within that freedom actually means that everybody has a right to do whatever they want to do. No one believes that way. And you know why? Because every one of us lock our doors at night. Because it's not okay for someone to come in and violate your space and take your things and harass or bring harm to your people in your home. And yet it happens. And we can all look at that and say, it's wrong. There are absolutes in this world. So the question starts to become, well, where do we find what's right? Where does, where does this thing that's deep-seated down inside of us, 
where does that come from? Where is that thing that tells us it's not right to come into someone? Listen, if it's survival of the fittest, if we're just a bunch of, a, we're a product of a big bang, I'm just being honest with you, if we're a product of a big bang and it's survival of the fittest, who's to say that you can't go in and take over someone else's property? Truly, every one of us has something deep down. It's those that are made in the image of God. And we get it. There are moral absolutes. So does Christianity have restrictions? You bet. Because we believe that those restrictions are absolutely critical and necessary to be free. We have a good father. And what he has done is he's created boundaries for our maximum flourishing, for the best possible life. Keller goes on to say, in many cases, confinement and constraint is actually a means to liberation. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating, I love this, the liberating restrictions. Those restrictions that fit with the reality of our nature and the world produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and a deeper fulfillment. That's the message of the gospel, right? That freedom isn't the absence of restrictions. Hear this, real freedom is the power to live the life that God has made you for. That's what freedom is. That's where life is experienced. That's where we get real joy and real peace. And ironically, what many today call freedom is what the scripture calls sin. Doing what I want when I want. It's the, at the heart of what it means to be broken, right? It's so opposite of the experience of peace and joy that God has for us. And even just like what I got to say last week, listen, God doesn't create boundaries and look at us from a distance and hope we can figure it out. God, in his love, restricted himself, right? He became human and took punishment upon himself and he overcame death and hell and he gives to us a real, powerful, life-giving way to operate, to live a life in relationship with a heavenly father that is above all. And that's what we get told in that Galatians 5.13. It says, for your call to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does it say? But through love, serve. Serve each other. And so Paul just wants to make, under, he wants to make sure we understand what the flesh is. And so he just unpacks it really quickly. It says, here's the works of the flesh, by the way. There are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why does God warn us about these works of the flesh? I mean, can we be honest? 
You can look at the list here, and we know from our own experience what all those things do to our lives. We know what being drunk does to our lives. We know that the kinds of brokenness that comes from sexual immorality, it never brings life. It brings death. It may feel great in a moment, but it always brings death. Anybody ever in here looking look at anything on that list? You ever thought, I'm so much better off when I'm envious. I love being jealous. It's so fun. No one's ever done that. No one's ever looked at their spouse and gone, I love your fit of rage. Do it more. <laughs> Guys, it's self-evident here. God's showing he's, he's a good father. He's not out to create rules and lists so that you sit in the box. He's saying, I want maximum freedom and flourishing for you. Trust me. Trust my heart. Trust my word. And you'll have life. These other things might feel good in the moment. The fit of rage might feel good in the moment, but it will lead towards death. I have better for you. And I'm so, so grateful that we have a good father, right? Who will prohibit things for our good, just like these beautiful mamas have done a thousand times for their kiddos, right? Never let anyone tell you Christianity is too restrictive. Never let anyone lie to you. And I would say more importantly, never let the enemy try to seed that into you. Do we have restrictions as followers of Jesus? You bet. But it's because no good and loving father leaves his children unprotected and uncovered. And so our father wants us free. He wants us empowered to be able to live out our design. And you know what the results are, by the way, when we just trust him and follow him and listen to him? It says in verse 22, here's what happens when you have the fruit of the spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, Patience washes over you, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Church, I, I'm, I've, I have fear that when we read that list, we think, well, these are all the things that I'm supposed to go do and produce. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, when you trust the Father for leadership in your life, this is what starts to happen inside of you. When you turn your heart to him, and I got to be honest, you, in the same way you could look at the list of the flesh and know deep down all of it's destructive, we can do the same with this list. You can look right here and go, anyone else just saying, I wish I had just less peace today. I wish I could just get rid of some of this peace. It just doesn't happen. Everybody's hungering for this. Not just Christians. Everybody in the world is hungering for this. This is what you get when you trust the good father and you lean into him. This is what comes. That's why it says there in verse 24, it says, those who belong to Christ, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Meaning, all that junk, 
brings death. And so we agree with God. We just want to say no to the things that are going to bring death to us. But what does it say? Verse 29, since life in life is found by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Let me tell you, there no, I like the, this picture of keeping in step with the spirit, you can't help but think of dancing. And there's just no better leader in the dance than the father. The, what the, the coolest dance you've ever seen in your whole life, which is all you can see, yeah, all the dancing with the star, whatever. The sweetest dance you've ever seen in your life is daddy-daughter dances. Come on. You see a daddy-daughter dance? There's nothing more, there's not a better dance on the planet. This is what our father is saying. Hey, let's do this. Just stay in step with me. I'm not out to restrict you and put my thumb. I'm here to bring life. Stay in step with my spirit. Let's do this, let's do this dance with the Lord and be brought to life. Let's turn our heart to him. I'm gonna, you guys close your eyes. We're gonna, actually, y'all can put your stuff up. Let's just stand. going to finish this one. We just have a couple minutes here. Then I want you guys to celebrate and have a blast. If you brought mom today or came with mom, I want you guys to have a blast. Would you just set your heart for a moment on the spirit just to be in step with him? Right now, you might even just go, I got a whole lot of chaos going on around me. In fact, if I read the news for like more than three minutes. I just want to spin out. And if I put my gaze on all the stuff that's going on in my world and all the stuff that's going on in me, if I look at all of these things, it can easily feel overwhelming. I can feel unsafe. I can feel anger or frustration. I can feel hurt and disappointment and all those things. When I look at all the circumstances, that's how I might feel. And if that's where you've been this week, if that's where you're at even in this moment, would you just tell the Lord that? Lord, here's where I've been. But Father, together, we just choose right now to just set our eyes on you. And right now, we ask, can we stay in step with you instead? Holy Spirit, can we just, could you grab our hand And let us just stay in step with you. You're the most trustworthy, faithful, good, righteous Father. And you're trustworthy. Can we walk with you? We just ask him.
there's no harsh demand from the Father. There's a request of a loving Father to say, will you walk with me? Trust me. If there's an area of sin or brokenness that you're wrestling with, maybe even I read off something in that list and you find yourself wrestling or struggling with that, would you just be real with the Lord about that? Just, just, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds. I'm not gonna ask you to come. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or come forward or any. I just want you to do business with the Lord. If there's any of those places, not the list of all the things that the church can sometimes try to create, just the ones that are hurting your heart, would you just tell the Lord about it? You might have told him a thousand times. Give him 1,001 right now. And just say, here's the parts of my flesh that I just tend to lean towards. And I just want to give it to you. Give it to him fresh today. I want to confess that to you, Lord. my heart from that which is broken and I just want to stay in step with you. Just make that exchange right now. Fresh. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you, God. We thank you that you let us bring our brokenness to you and you make us whole. And you take us by the hand so that we can stay in step with you. Holy Spirit, you are invited. Would you invite him? I invite you to lead me today. Invite us. We, and, and bring us. You invite us. Bring us. We love you. And if you're here or you're online and you've never in your life chosen to follow Jesus and to stay in step with him, hear this. There's an invitation for you. There is a wide open invitation for you to be in step with him, to be covered by him. And he's ready. And whatever way we can partner with you to walk in a relationship with Jesus, we want that. We're here for you. Father, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you lead. In a moment, we'll have some prayer partners down front. If you got some stuff going on in your world, we can pray with you about. We'd love to pray with you because we're just here for you. Or maybe you're just looking for somebody to celebrate with what God is doing. We're here for that too. I'm gonna close here this morning with a benediction and a word of blessing over you as you go. In the freedom and beautiful boundaries that a father has for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. We pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you all. We'll have some prayer partners here. We'll see you next week.